The woman I'm about to have a conversation with has a remarkable story. She is going to share her story about her journey. Growing up in a wonderful family in a community that was loving, caring, supportive. Her adoptive family are just like the best people ever. But she looked nothing like the family that adopted her. And we're going to talk about her journey of finding her birth parents, what that looked like, and what she discovered within herself along the way. With me in the studio today to uh, engage in conversation in our podcast is um, somebody that's not a famous recording artist. I wanted to talk to everyday people who are doing extraordinary things. And Angela, welcome to Love Someone with Delilah. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be here. I saw you outside the studio and I was hollering at you. I don't think you heard me. (laughs) Um, But I recognized you and I felt like I know you because I've watched your your movie two times now. And I like finding unique things to watch. Like I don't own a television But at night, after I finish the show, if I can't wind down, I look for documentaries. And I don't even know how your documentary came up on my computer, but the title of it is Closure. And I had no idea what it was about. It just, the title intrigued me. And quite honestly, you're a beautiful woman in that your beauty like intrigued me because there was a picture of you and the title of the documentary. So I said, let's see what this is about. That must have been really startling for you, (laughs) being an adoptive mother and just happening upon this story about transracial adoption. Being an adoptive mother, you know, with a incredibly mixed family, we're uh, multi-generational, multiracial, and I thought, well, I'll just watch a few minutes of this. I watched the entire documentary. I watched it and I laughed with you and I cried with you and I rejoiced with you. And the next day I got up and I wrote to my executive producer of our podcast, who also happens to be my sister, and said, oh, my gosh, I want to get to know this lady. I want to talk to her and hear your story, Angela, and have you share a little bit of your story, but even more how you are using your story and your history to change the world for good. So welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you? I'm 33. 33. Yeah. And how old were you when you were adopted? I was about a year old. And it was a private adoption through an adoption agency? Well, I was adopted through the state. Um, However, The private agency who was in charge of me after I left the hospital in Chattanooga, Tennessee, wasn't able to find any families that were open to the myriad of medical problems that I was said to have. And so they opened it up to the whole United States. Anybody that was willing to adopt me could. And so my parents were adopting through the state, but they found out about me. And how did they find out about you? My parents had adopted several children already with disabilities. And so I don't know if the agency knew about them, but somehow they knew of a family who was well connected with doctors and would be able to support the needs that I was supposedly going to have. At the time, the doctors had written that I would have 
spastic quadriplegia that I would never walk. And Miss Basketball Star. Yeah. I saw, and in the documentary, there's a little bit on that, not very much, but your parents worked really hard when you were a baby, right? Doing physical therapy and massaging and stretching. And and the diagnosis went from not going to walk, going to be in a wheelchair. And how many of your siblings are in wheelchairs? I know at least one is. Just one. My one. sister Shauna has cerebral palsy. Yeah. Um, and so it went from from that diagnosis to, well, okay, well, maybe she'll be able to walk with aids, with walkers and crutches and braces, to playing basketball. <laughs> which I love and was my outlet. I really think it was a misdiagnosis, which happens frequently when kids don't have parents in the hospital, that dates are wrong on the paperwork. And I am, I think that I had a lot of drugs in my system that made my limbs really tight so that, yeah, my foster parents too had to do so much work, physical therapy, but I'm not sure that it was anything more than that. So you, you were taken from the hospital to a foster family. Yep. And I saw they're in the documentary. Wonderful family. Who, who shot the documentary? My husband. I know. I just had to get that out there. What's his name? <laughs> Brian. And at the time he was not a filmmaker. I really just wanted someone to capture these moments when I was first meeting my birth family because I was so overwhelmed and I knew that I wasn't going to remember things that are really important like what color is the siding on my birth mom's house and was her grass mowed and like things that seem insignificant or really important to me and so I was like Brian can you just can you just video this yeah so how long had you known Brian when you started because uh, I could tell just from the quality of the videos that when you started, you didn't think, let's turn this into a documentary. No, we were just using a little flip camera. Brian and I had been married maybe three or four years, but all the time through our marriage and while we were dating, I was searching for my birth parents. So you had questions. So you were you went from the hospital, um, left there, relinquished. Did your birth mom relinquish you in the hospital? It's all so fuzzy. I'm not sure. I'm trying to understand the details. It sounds like she doesn't know either. Right. Yeah, because she was not in a good state of mind then. Right. So you were left at the hospital. You went into a foster home that knew they weren't going to adopt you, but cared for you. Yes. And then you were placed with your family who live in uh, what's now a pretty big town, but at the time... 30 years ago, was a small town. Yeah, 50,000 people in Bellingham, Washington. And 49,900 of them are, are, white. are white, are Caucasian. How is that growing up? Representation is so important. But growing up, you don't know what you don't know. And I had a wonderful family. Your parents are saints, by the way. I could tell in the documentary that they just love you so much. They do, but they really don't like being called that no they don't and you know and because they're like this is these this are is my our kids. family these right. are my kids and we didn't do anything extraordinary right. and i love that about them i don't think they're saints for adopting you know multiple kids i think they're saints for juggling everything that they did i still that's ask where them. the sainthood comes yes because i know what it's like to juggle one or two kids with special needs and doctor's appointments and therapy and they at one time had how many kids in the house that all we're going to doctors, going to therapists, going to counseling, going to hospitals. Maybe 10? Yeah. See, that's where the sainthood comes in. That's amazing. 
And now you're all grown. How old is the youngest still? I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. Yes, but I was not the last to come to our family. Right. But yeah. I'm so gonna... they they not only, <laughs> they broke all the adoption rules. Um, but I feel like your mom and I are kindred spirits in so many ways. I think she'd love to hear that. Yeah. She sent me a present. Thank you for bringing this. Yes. So she makes these weighted fuzzy blankets. Yeah. I mean, the weighted blankets have been so helpful for me, even going through the search. Now in reunion, my birth dad recently passed away, which was really confusing and difficult because I didn't know him super well, but we look exactly but you alike. Look exactly like I him. I mean, he's the first person I've ever seen that I look like. So uh, uh, let me just tell our listeners, uh, people who have joined our podcast, Love Someone with Delilah. I'm talking with a beautiful young woman, Angela Tucker, African-American, love the natural hair. I, it was fun to follow you in your documentary. Your My hairstyles. Hair yeah, you have great hairstyles. You have great hair. Uh, she and her husband did a documentary quite by accident, started out just as a personal thing, and then they turned it into a documentary called Closure that journeys it's like a journal a video journal of your journey to find your your birth family and we're going to come back and talk about that because there are some things that really resonated in my heart about the beginning of the journey and the struggles you face to find your birth family we'll be back with angela in just a moment l-a-s-i-k lasik.com have a ton of questions about lasik you're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. In the studio today uh, for our podcast is Angela Tucker, who is a beautiful, you could model. You're so kind. You have such a radiant smile. Thank you. And a, and a fun style. 
I noticed that in in the documentary. I don't know if you like, don't shoot me now because I got to go change my clothes. You always look so cute. Oh, thank you. That was the thing that was hard is I would be lying in bed at night with my hair wrapped and... And your you know, husband like, would start to videotape you. Well, I would have some thoughts about, like, my deepest thoughts come when we're about to go to sleep. And I would be thinking out loud, like, I'm never going to find my birth parents. This is never going to happen. And, like, lamenting to him, my husband. And he would be like, Gotta hold on. <laughs> Let me go set up my camera. And hold I'm like, on. no. And at that time, since we didn't think the film was going to go on Netflix or Amazon yeah. Prime or anything, I was like, yeah, this is going to be my home video, so you can you, you can, can film me, and I'll keep talking to you. I think that's the magic of it. It is that magical. people love that it was just really honest. So let's talk about that. Be- the the beginning steps. How old were you when you decided for for reels that you were going to search for your birth family? I think I was about twenty one. And one of the things that resonated with me was when you first told your family, supportive or not so much. Very. Completely supportive, supportive even prior to 21, because I'd always had so many questions about my birth family. And it was always met with, we are curious about your birth family, too. We want to know where did you get your athletic abilities from? Where did your big smile come from? That felt really supportive. Like I knew they would be along the journey with me. And they were along the journey the whole way. However, it wasn't until I watched what my husband had filmed, an interview with my mom. I was watching it on screen, and she said that she did fear being replaced by this birth mother if I found her. I had never heard her say anything like that. And I think that's beautiful, because if I had known that, I'm not so sure I would have searched. Because I don't, adoptees don't want to hurt our parents. Yeah, or anybody. And so... And so I'm I'm grateful that she was able to separate her feelings from my needs. Right. That's true love. I mean, that right there is true love. Love is saying your needs are more important than my wants. So you go on this search, and I love how you found your birth dad. His name is so unique. So unique. So his, his birth name is Oterius. But the city who has fallen in love with him and his... He's kind of an icon, but he is Sandy the Flower Man. But in your search, you all you had was Oterius. Right. No last name. Right. Oterius is not a real common name. Thank goodness. It's because Sandy my God. birth mom, her name is Deborah Johnson. And I knew her last name was Johnson. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is not going to be easy. It's so not going to be easy. Yeah. Okay. So, but with the name Oterius and their last names, how did you know your birth mom's last name? Because uh, most of them are redacted on I the I think papers. someone forgot to redact. But Oterius's last name, I love this. Was and redacted. It was redacted, but you could tell... From the number of characters that were painted over, (laughs) that it was a short last name. Yeah, we're like, it's probably four letters, five letters. We got a computer and tried to get the same type font to figure out exactly how many letters it might be. And it came out four letters. So armed with that information, first name Oterius, last name four letters. Then we were able to plug it into a search engine in the state of Tennessee, how many people named Oterius are there? And this search engine brought up, I think, five and one with the last name Bell. So there were the four characters, four spaces. Yes. 
And ding, 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 it rang a bell. Well, yeah. So when we typed in Oterius Bell, up popped this male version of myself. How did that feel to look? Because Sandy, the flower man, was quite, like you said, beloved in his community. Completely. Very, very um, affectionate, just a loving, loving man that endeared himself to the whole community. (laughs) And when I saw in the documentary his face... I was like, oh boy, no denying that's your daddy. I mean, it's it's overwhelming after living life. I was really jealous like of my sister, who is my parents' biological daughter, who's just beautiful. My dad has these neon blue eyes, and my sister does too. And so growing up hearing everyone say, like, your eyes are so beautiful, you look just like your dad, I would just be sitting there wishing that could be me i wish i wanted to hear that i wanted and so growing up without that and having white people all around me and longing to look like them so my five older children are all people of color and then i had a biological daughter who looks just like me blonde fair skin blue eyes like your 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 adoptive father's eyes and when she was maybe four years old, Shayla came to me and she says, Ma Bear, I want braids like Tangi. <laughs> You're like. And I said, well, baby, I don't know that they sell blonde hair where I get Tangi's braids done, but I'll ask next time we go <laughs> and maybe you can get braids like Tangi. And she says, no, Ma Bear. She says, I want black braids like my big sister. Oh, man. And I said, well, honey, I think that might look kind of different with your very fair skin. But, uh, wow, what bizarre standards we have in our society of what is beautiful and what is powerful. Yeah, it took me so long to embrace my natural hair. I'm proud of it now. But for so long, I wanted it to flow in the wind when we were driving in our convertible, like my mom's and my sister's. As I got older and met black women, it was comforting to know that black women who were raised by their biological black parents also went through all these hair stages. These are the things that you talk about in your life every day because you counsel people who are in transracial situations. Yeah, I do a lot of teaching on transracial adoption using my own experience. There is a need to change your environment so that a child of color can grow up feeling strong, empowered, beautiful. Yes. And so I talk about the ways that families can do that. You know, my girlfriend Wendy adopted her little girl from China. Mm-hmm. And um she has done everything to keep her daughter connected to her heritage. So what are some things that you tell people? Yeah, I mean, typically transracial adoption still means white parents and kids of color. So I talk a lot about uh, whiteness. So for white parents needing to understand what it means to grow up in a world that reflects you, because many times white folks don't, see that right away don't see that they have representation all around them and it's so that providing a safe and wonderful home isn't automatically gonna feel that way for their children their children um i remember one time when my mom took me to an african fashion show 
at the university in Bellingham and I was little. And so, and she went and she was the only white person in the room. And I remember as a little kid, just feeling kind of subconsciously feeling proud that my mom could be in what it was like in my place. She could be in my shoes and not make it about her. But it was it was a time for me to see others. But she was the only person. And it felt like she was so willing to try to experience what it felt like for me every day. I loved that. And you shared in the documentary that your folks did a lot of things like that to try to keep you connected uh, and help yeah. you to to develop your identity. But what happened after you found Oterius, your biological, your birth dad? So my birth dad had no idea that he had a child. And so he was shocked. And so were all of his siblings. And he had been told, at least in the documentary you shared, that he had been told that medically he was not capable of fathering children. Right. And he had not fathered any children before or after, to his knowledge. Right. And along comes this beautiful young lady. So crazy. It was so exciting for everybody. I am there near where he lives with my husband who is white, my parents who are white, one of my sisters who's white with her husband. So it's this entourage of (laughs) somebody that looks just like him who's saying, I think I'm your daughter and all these white folks. And I'm sure it was really a strange sight, but at the same time, it was undeniable. Oh, yeah. You know, and we... You took the DNA test. We took the DNA test, but as everyone was saying... You didn't really you, you need, didn't to, do need that. to do that. <laughs> yeah, you are a carbon copy, a beautiful, yeah. beautiful carbon copy of your biological father. And he was in the documentary, he was overwhelmed with Absolutely. joy. Yes, he had wanted a, a child. And he has a big family. He has six siblings and all of them have children. And he was the only one that didn't. And when did you lose him? When did he pass? Three weeks ago. Oh. I am so sorry. And so going back to his funeral, there were so many issues only developed because of transracial adoption that was coming up, you know, that I I didn't know so many of the cultural traditions around funerals and wakes. But growing up in the Pacific Northwest, the furthest corner away from the the deep south. Yes, and we our traditions here are in the northwest are so different. But for me as a transracial adoptee to look just like my birth family on my dad's side and be experiencing culture shock is is complicated and there were a couple wakes and then the funeral the next day and then the procession because he was a marine. Oh. Yeah. Bless him. Bless him. Wow, Angela, thank you for sharing the story of your birth dad. What uh, what a joy that must have been to his heart to have spent his whole life thinking he couldn't have a child, then to discover not only did he have a child, but such a beautiful, remarkable daughter. Your story's moving. While I'm, while I'm very sorry to hear of his passing and sad you don't have more opportunities to make memories, I'm happy you did have the opportunity to meet him. Oterius, and rejoice in your love for one another. We're going to take a little break here so I can tell everyone about our podcast sponsor. And when we come back, I hope you'll share the part of your story about reconnecting with your birth mom with us too. 
When the weather turns nice, the outdoor projects can get started, like painting the outside of the home. The Home Depot makes finding your color and choosing the right paint for the exterior of your home easier than ever. The Home Depot is always generous with paint samples. And once you decide what your color is going to be, you'll get all the help you need and all the supplies you need. The Home Depot, more saving, more doing. Let's get back to our conversation with Angela Tucker and hear how she finally reconnected with her birth mom. This was the hard part for me in the the video because I want my kids to have connections with their biological families. And it's easier now than when you were young because the internet, you know, the internet makes anything possible. But when, when you found your birth dad, he knew who your birth mom was and took you there. And she said, please leave, leave right away. And when I, even though my birth dad had brought us there and clearly she knew, recognized him and he knew her, obviously, obviously, I got back into the car with my, my husband, my parents, and it was like, bummer, we didn't find her. Let's keep looking. Because you were just in denial. Yeah. And I just, it was so overwhelming. I just wanted to believe what people were telling me. That that wasn't the right woman that yeah. birthed you. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Even though she had the same name. Everything. As, <laughs> yes. So that's, that's really deep denial. Yeah. I mean, I've, for what was about 26 years at that point, had dreamt that my birth mother was Halle Berry because she's just beautiful and why not? Or, you know, you would make up all these fantasies about who who might be my birth mom. And why you might have been placed for adoption. Right. And so this just didn't match any of your fantasies. Right. The reality, uh, I could tell in the documentary, my heart, it was so hard to watch. My heart just broke for you. The yeah. rejection was hard. But I'm super excited to be working on a novel with my birth mom right now. Which says a whole lot because she did finally come around. A year later, a lot of people were learning that that I was out there because of the internet, because of Facebook. I was then connected with my birth sister and a couple birth brothers. And so I was chatting with them. Did so, you find the other child that your mom placed? Because no, she placed two children no, for adoption. No, we're still looking. Do you know names? We know a first name, Rachel. And do you know Very what helpful. state she was adopted in? <laughs> we think we know into Pennsylvania. And how old? What was her birthday? She's one year older than me, January 1984. So who knows? Maybe somebody listening to this podcast, a beautiful young black woman named Rachel, might be listening, or they might have changed her name, but that she might be looking for the same answers. And if she is, let's tell them how the, she can find your web series and connect with you. And and if it's not her, I know there's going to be a lot of people who are in the adoption triad, either adoptive parents or birth parents or children that might want to talk to you or connect with you. Angela, how can they do that? Yeah, so theadoptedlife.com is my website where I have videos that I'm talking with other transracially adopted youth. And I have blogs where I'm just kind of talking through all of the complex thoughts and feelings that I and other adoptees have. So that's an easy way. And then I'm on 
Facebook and Instagram and which is how I found you. After I watched the documentary, I said, I got to find more about this woman because you're so dynamic and you have yeah. such a great story. So tell me about the Project Search and Reunion. Well, that's an interesting project that I'm doing through Amara, where I work, a foster care agency in Seattle and Pierce County. But I'm the director of post-adoption services. And Amara has been open since 1923. Wow. So since 1923, they've been facilitating adoptions. And I was recognizing that because of how we used to do adoptions, which were very secretive, we wouldn't tell people facts about their life because it was all in good intentions, but harmful ultimately for adoptees to not know things about themselves. So I was finding that we hadn't told folks that, for example, they had siblings because a social worker thought that it might be too difficult for that person to know that the siblings were alive and maybe weren't full siblings or for whatever reason chose not to tell them. And so this project, I am going through over 3,000 of our own files to make sure that every adoptee that has ever come through our agency has all of the information that they can know about themselves. Wow. That's amazing. There's a young woman who contacted me on uh, on my Facebook through the radio show who is uh, an adoptee, adopted at 10 through foster care, has no idea what happened to her the 10 years she was in foster care. And in the state she's in, the state will not release any of her records. Yeah, it's an injustice. And the laws are moving. The laws are oftentimes slower than society moves. And so people are able to find stuff out about themselves through at-home DNA kits and just Google and things. But the laws prevent agencies from giving that very information to them. And so that's part of Project Search and Reunion, too, is we're going to push the limits. So how do we change the laws? We need to hear more stories from people whom it directly impacts. Who's we, though? Who? How do we get the law? How do you and I, what do you and I do? Who do we call? I think we Who call we our to? legislature. Yeah. I think we're lobbying. Yeah. The issues of adoption are still so shrouded in, like, adoption's so great. Like, if you were adopted at 10 out of foster care and you had a loving home, why would you need to know anything else? It's important that people find this out. It helps us make sense of our lives. For me, meeting my birth parents helped me understand why I needed to be adopted. Even though I knew on paper, meeting them, it made more sense. And I felt loved because I also met my birth dad who is so full of joy. He's not just homeless and has an addiction. And my birth mother is not just poor. She loves her kids. And so for me, being able to meet her and hear that, also meeting my foster parents. To hear your birth mom those holes. say, I didn't want somebody in my family to take her. I wanted her to break free of this and have a better life. Wow. She wanted to break the cycle. And boy, didn't she? Look at you, educated, married to a man who adores you an adoptive family who would move heaven and earth for you. And now you're moving heaven and earth for other people. I hope so. I love that. 
Angela Tucker is with us today. You're writing a book with your birth mom. What's the title of the book? Have, have you got a working title? Or are you going to surprise us? I think I'll surprise. Okay. We're going to look forward to that. But if folks want to find you, the Adopted Life web series and Angela Tucker, they can find you on social media, Facebook. Speaking all over the country as well about transracial adoption stuff. So I love meeting people and hearing their stories. Awesome. Thank you for being here with us Thank today. Thank you so much. Go to the adoptedlife.com for Angela's web series featuring conversations with transracially adopted teens. To view her documentary, Closure, which is what led me to Angela. I love watching documentaries and I stumbled upon hers late one night and I was I was just motivated to meet her, to find out about her, to hear her story and to learn more about her workshops and her consultation services. Angela is one person making a huge difference in the lives of adoptees and their families, especially children adopted across racial lines. Through her own curiosity and her quest to discover more about herself, she uncovered a passion for educating and supporting others, and now devotes her life to this important work. She's changing the world one heart at a time. I am so very fortunate to have made this connection with her. My life is richer for knowing Angela's story. It helps me to appreciate the circumstances my own children find themselves in because I have 11 adopted children. None of them look like me. They are all transracial adoptions. And it underscores the importance of exposing them to positive uh, representations of their rich, beautiful cultures, their heritage. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Love Someone as much as I have. Subscribe to my podcast and get access to each new episode as soon as it's published. Until then, join me on the radio and do me a favor. Take some time out of your busy schedule to slow down and love someone. Till